Okay, welcome to day 286 of Journey Through Scripture. Today we're going to be in Jeremiah 27 through 29, 23, Psalm 119, 33 through 40, and Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. All right, let's begin. Uh, Jeremiah 27, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah. Notice how helpful, by the way, Jeremiah is sometimes. Uh, you know, you'll always hear me <laughs> voice of a quasi-complaint when it's uh, when it's difficult to place the historical period in which a particular prophecy takes place, and um, that would be sometimes helpful for the interpretation, at least to know uh, the historical backdrop against which it happened. But uh, Jeremiah is very helpful, uh, kind of unique among the prophets in this way, where he's constantly saying uh, when certain prophecies happen. That's not to say that Jeremiah always does this, but you know he gives us a good ballpark figure for a lot of his stuff, and I'm very appreciative of it when he does. And uh, so it says, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah. So Zedekiah comes to the reign in 597. Uh, Zedekiah is the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and, and this is when the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Um, now, um, uh, so uh, here we have a good reminder, as uh, I've said a bunch of different times, Zedekiah, uh, though he's several kings down the, down the line from Josiah, right, is actually Josiah's son, because three of Josiah's sons end up being kings. That is Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, and now Zedekiah, uh, the only one of the final uh, three kings of Judah there who um, who isn't a son of Josiah, in fact, is Jehoiachin, who is uh, Jehoiakim's son, and he is taken into exile in Babylon. And anyway, Zedekiah. So uh, now, having said what I said about the helpfulness of this temporal marker at the beginning of today's passage— we're actually going to see that uh, there's a there's a bit of a chronological issue uh, between chapters 27 and 28. So what's going to happen in this chapter is that we have another one of these prophetic enactments, where as we see Jeremiah is told to make straps and yoke bars, so you can think of like a yoke of oxen, and to put them on his neck. And uh, then to talk about how this is, represents the the yoke of the king of Babylon, uh, and then in chapter twenty eight we see actually uh, that he's he's still wearing them when that happens, um, and it's seemingly you know pretty contemporaneous with the prophecy of twenty seven. However, in chapter twenty eight it's called the um, uh, in the in that well note it, notice here note the. In the, that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, which we would think is 597 BC, um, <clears throat> we're, we're told that it's in the fifth month of the fourth year that uh, he has to deal with some of the stuff he deals with in chapter 28. And so it's like, well, is it the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, or is it the, um, or is it the the, the fourth year? And um, uh, some people suggest that the problem is alleviated a little bit. Um, it by recognizing that actually in the Greek translation of the book of Jeremiah, the Septuagint, 27.1 is absent. So there is, so it's uh, argued that that 27.1 is uh, like a later addition, um, perhaps to smooth some stuff out. Um, 
uh, to, to, to clean up the chronology a little bit. Um, but I'm not sure. And so, and so in other words that then we just go with the dating from 28 one, but I'm not sure that that helps that much because the, um, because the, it still calls chapter 28 one still calls it the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah. So, you know, it's kind of weird because to, to make that suggestion, I think because chapter 28 has the same temporal marker that chapter 27 has. And I just think that the answer is a little bit more obvious. And that is that, it is uh, Jeremiah is simply calling the the fourth year of Zedekiah's reign the uh, the beginning of his reign, and um, you know I don't see that to be too much of a problem. Like the same sentence says that obviously uh, it's compatible with the author's uh, language, so uh, you know the the author thinks it makes sense to say to call the beginning of his reign the 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 fourth year. So uh, I I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, but um, yeah, enough on that. Uh, as I said, we have a prophetic enactment here where he's commanded to make these straps and the yoke bars uh, of, that you would place on animals and to send word to a bunch of other kings. And uh, remember, the king, uh, kings of a lot of these nations were said to be the ones who were the focus of the cup of the wrath of, of Yahweh in, chapters 20, in chapter 25, 16 through 26, which we saw yesterday. Uh, so he said to send word to the king of Edom, king of Moab, um, the king of the sons of Ammon, Tyre, Sidon, and to send it by word of the envoys who had come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. So they, these nations had sent envoys to Zedekiah, and it's like, hmm, what's, well, what's going on here? And there to return with not only whatever else news there to bring back, but also a word from this prophet of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, it is I who by my great power and outstretched arm have made the earth. Okay, so something important for foreign nations to know about the God of Israel uh, with the men and the animals that are on the earth. I give it to whomever seems right to me. So I'm the one who's actually in charge. It's like, okay. Um, I've given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my, ser my servant. This is not the first time Nebuchadnezzar has been called this in Jeremiah. I've given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. So even the beasts, every, everything in your lands, I've given to him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes, uh, which we've also seen alluded to in Jeremiah. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. So it, for the time being, I give all of you nations into the hand of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but the time will come when I will deal with him as well. Uh, but if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke, so there's the meaning of the yoke bars, I will punish that nation with the, here we have Jeremiah's trifecta of punishment, sword, famine, and pestilence, until I have consumed it by his hand. So notice the, the uh, kind of interesting way of wording God's sovereignty here. I have consumed it by his hand. Okay, so God using Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish his judgment. So do not listen to your prophets, diviners, dreamers, fortune tellers, sorcerers, all the people who are telling you what Zedekiah's prophets in Jerusalem are telling him. You shall not serve the king of Babylon, 
for it is a lie they're prophesying to you. So he's concerned with all these false prophets in these foreign lands, and of course, they're not even claiming to be prophets of Yahweh, but nevertheless, they're telling their kings that that um, they don't have to, that, that ultimately they will not end up serving the king of Babylon. Um, and uh, it's a lie they're prophesying to you, and with the result that you will be removed from your land. So there's exile predicted for them as well. I will drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land and work it, uh, to work it and dwell there, declares Yahweh. Now notice there this very awkward thing that Jeremiah is given to tell the nations, Judah, but also the nations around, right? There's, it's understandable why someone in this day and age might think that Jeremiah is kind of like a like a Babylonian plant, right? That he's that he's this mole working from the inside, trying this this pro Babylon guy, but really he's pro Yahweh. Uh, it's just that he's um, the message, the particular message he's given is that you know this is an inevitable judgment that is coming from God, unless of course you guys repent, but it's really looking like you won't. Um. So, uh, to, and then to Zedekiah, I spoke in like manner, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon, serve him and his people, and live. So at this point, the only way you, you're going to be able to live is by submitting to, um, to Nebuchadnezzar's yoke. Why will you and your people die by sword, famine, and pestilence? Um, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are telling you otherwise, so essentially what he's said to these other kings and what he's said to the kings of Judah a bunch of times already, uh, for they're prophesying falsely in my name. Um, and again, the same, with the result that I will drive you out and perish, you and your prophets who are prophesying to you. And then he goes to the priests and to all the, you know, all this people, general designation there. And he, and apparently, like, one of the other things that have become uh, uh, pro, uh, popular for these false prophets to be saying is that that the vessels that had been taken to Babylon, and that is uh, under, um, back, back in 597, right, right when Zedekiah is um, taken, uh, ascends to the throne, because he ascends to the throne right after Jehoiachin is taken into captivity. So this second uh, this second deportation that is that Judah has already undergone, uh, and and it says in Second Kings twenty four thirteen how um, when Nebuchadnezzar uh, took these uh, these exiles, he also uh, took a lot of the choice vessels from the royal palace and from the temple and brought them back to Babylon, and so this would be like placed in the house of their gods, in their treasuries, wherever it is that they place them. But these prophets have been prophesying, uh, the Lord's going to bring these things back. He's going to bring them back, um, and you don't have to worry about it. We're going to get these these vessels back. And, um, and, and actually, Jeremiah's like, no, that's a lie. That's not going to happen. Don't listen to these guys. Um, and if, they're, if they're prophets, then let them here's what they need to be doing. They need to be interceding with Yahweh of hosts that the vessels that are left in the house of Yahweh, so the ones that haven't been taken yet, um, and Jerusalem may not go to Babylon. So let's do a little thing here, right? Um, let's see how genuine they are. Now, of course, by the time you learn the lesson from this, it'll be too late, but let them start praying to the Lord that these vessels 
that are in the house of the Lord will remain in Jerusalem. Um, but, uh, but, but as for Yahweh of hosts, you know, whom I hear from, in whose counsel I stand, um, concerning the pillars, the sea, the stands, and the rest of the vessels that are left in this city, um, uh, which he did not take away when he took into exile Jeconiah, again, that's Jehoiakim, uh, and all the nobles, um, these vessels that remain shall be carried also to Babylon. So not only are not the ones that were taken away going to be brought, going to not be brought back, but the the ones that remain will be taken into va- uh, Babylon and will remain there until the day when I visit them. Um, then I will bring them back and restore this place. And uh, that um, actually we see the fulfillment of that when they actually do come back. Um, and we see that in like Ezra 1, 7 through 8, where Cyrus basically delivers all these things to the governor of Judah. Uh, but that, of course, Cyrus, of course, is the one who brings down Babylon, and he is the next king, the one who declares the return from exile. So that's when this is actually going to happen. Um, now, one of the thing, other things that I'll mention about chapter 27 that is very interesting is that um, we're actually... When when so Zedekiah comes to the throne and he's clearly subject to the king of Babylon, right? And everything would be okay with that arrangement, but the anti-Babylonian faction within Judah um, uh, compels him to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, and that's why Nebuchadnezzar comes for that final blow against Jerusalem, which we all know about. That happens in five eighty seven, five eighty six. Uh, but Second Kings actually doesn't really give us a lot of detail about that at all. It just says in 2420, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Here we actually get a nice insight into that picture, right? In that there are envoys who have come from these other nations apparently to discuss with Zedekiah, uh, kind of organize a coalition of rebel states against Babylon. So, they're in league with all these other uh, um, smaller uh, nations, of course, smaller than Babylon, um, who are all kind of going to try to make a go at this together. And that's what Jeremiah interrupts. So these these political emissaries, these ambassadors who are in the land of Judah, Jeremiah steps in, gives this message to them, and tells them that this plan will not work. So we see a little bit about of this conspiracy that Zedekiah has 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 done, and just like we saw with Hezekiah rebelling against um, Assyria, which is like a different situation entirely, but there are a lot of similarities, of course. It, It appears that Zedekiah is a bit of a ringleader here because all the envoys have come to Jerusalem. Uh, it's not as if like they they sent them to you know the any of their capital cities. No, that this is where this is where the conspiracy is hatched and developed. Okay, and then in chapter 28, we meet another false prophet. And again, this is in the same same year. Jeremiah is still wearing these yoke bars. Um, and, you know, this was not just like a one and done, apparently. Um, and this guy's name, this other prophet, well, quote-unquote prophet, his name is Hananiah, the son of Azor. Uh, he's a prophet from Gibeon, and he's speaking in the temple. And he says, thus says Yahweh, okay, and this is in line, so he would be an example of the kind of prophets that Jeremiah has been speaking of. I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon, 
Now, uh, I I think this is kind of um, where to picture. I mean, the way that I envision this is Jeremiah is there, and Hananiah is like, "Hey, you're a prophet of the Lord. I'm a prophet of the Lord." And you've proclaimed that we'll be under the yoke. And look, you're wearing a yoke right now, but I'm here to give you this fresh revelation from God. So me and my buddy Jeremiah here are, are, are here. And thus says Yahweh, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. So I got good news. Right? You've, you've, you've been, he's been, he's wearing this yoke and that may have been okay. That may have been true, but um, maybe we've done some things that that have uh, that have turned the tide a little bit, and uh, and 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 so it's it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Within two years, I will bring back to this place the vessel of Yahweh's house. So the exact opposite of what Jeremiah had been saying, right? And and I will bring back to this place Jeconiah. So remember King Jehoiachin, whom we all miss so much. I uh, he's going to come back. And the exiles are going to come back because I'm going to break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And then Jeremiah speaks up and notice they're in the same, they're still there. They're in the house of, of, of Yahweh. And Jeremiah says, amen, may Yahweh do so. May he make the words that you've prophesied come true. Okay. He's already kind of challenged the prophets on this front. Um, and, uh, but, but hear now the word that I speak in your hearing and the hearing of all the people who are here. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. And as for the prophet who prophesies peace, and, and then Jeremiah kind of gives them the, the the standard way of testing a prophet, right? That that if that when that when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then then you will know that Yahweh has truly sent the prophet. So if you want to know if this guy's full of it, uh, just wait and see. And then uh, Hananiah is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, give me those yoke bars, Jeremiah. And he's he goes, thus says Yahweh. And then he breaks the yoke bars. And he says, even so will I break the yoke of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon within two years. And Jeremiah is like, all right, I'm out of here. And sometime after this, the word of Yahweh comes to Jeremiah. Notice Jeremiah waits to hear from Yahweh. He doesn't just uh, say it off the cuff, right? He He's waiting to actually hear from God what to say about this. And God tells him, go, tell Hananiah, you've broken the wooden bars, but in place there will be, uh, you have made bars of iron. And it's interesting, you have made, right? So kind of like you're solidifying the Judeans and the kind of decisions that are going to lead them to be yoked under bars of iron. And, um, and, and he says, behold, I've put on, on all of these nations, the yoke of the, uh, the iron yoke of King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon. Um, and Jeremiah then has a word directly for Hananiah. Listen, Hananiah, Yahweh has not sent you and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore you shall die because you've uttered rebellion against Yahweh. And then uh, in that same month, Hananiah, in fact, dies. Then Jeremiah writes a letter to those who have already been taken into exile. And remember, these are th those whom we have high hopes for, because these are the guys who have been said, it's been said they are like the basket of good figs, remember back in chapter 24. 
And so he sends them this letter um, to the exiles, priests, prophets, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken to Babylon, um, and um, he sends it by the hand of uh, of of uh, Elisa, um, the, the the son of Shaphan, and as well as Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, and these are guys whom Zedekiah had sent to Babylon um, to Nebuchadnezzar. So notice there's these envoys from the king, and it's not clear why. Zedekiah has sent envoys to Babylon, could have been, you know, paying tribute for all we know. And, uh, and but there to bring this letter to them, and it says, thus says Yahweh of hosts, uh, to the people whom exile, in exile whom I have sent, so God is not bashful about the fact that he is the one who's brought this upon them, and he instructs them pretty much like the opposite thing that the prophets have been saying, right? So you guys are in exile, here's what I want you to do build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. So essentially, start getting used to life in Babylon. And you know what? You're you're planted there, bloom there, live your lives, serve the Lord, right? But but um, but realize that you're going to be there a while. Um, and in fact, don't be like praying against Babylon and, you know, instead seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to Yahweh on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And this is, this is a, you know, I think a, an interesting passage um, that is relevant, I think, to like, you know, Christians, wherever God's planted us, right? That that there's a mandate to be good citizens. I think we could build that that from um, from the New Testament as well, like what Paul says about the Christians' relationship to the state. You know, all things being equal, assuming they're not building like idols and telling you you need to bow down to them, which of course will eventually happen. But uh, the the idea is that 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 God. Even even if you're somewhere under the punishment of God, right? Like God still wants you to get back on your horse and and try again, right? And He wants you to uh, to 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 live a life that is uh, faithful to Him and um, and 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 good, a blessing to those around you. Okay, He's like you're supposed to be a light to the nations. Well, here's a good place for you to be a light to the nations, right? And uh, if this is true, of course, for the exiles in Babylon, how much more would it be true for us living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven here in this world? For thus says Yahweh, do not let your prophets and diviners deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams they dream. It's a lie that they're prophesying in my name. I did not send them. Uh, and then he assures them of this 70 years uh, scenario that we've already seen Jeremiah um, um, predict, right? When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. So essentially, you know, all that stuff in the Psalms about waiting on Yahweh, you're waiting on Yahweh. So, and what you do between now and then really does make a difference. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares Yahweh, plans for welfare, not for evil, or remember, this is that word, ra, right? This uh, uh, calamity, destruction, right? 
um, for for welfare and not for for good and not for bad, we could say, right? To give you a future and a hope. Okay, I'm not done with you. You have hope for the future. So how are you, how how should you live in light of that hope as you're waiting for me to fulfill that? Then you will call upon me and come pray to me, and I will hear you. Another important thing here, right? That this is not um, this is this is not just something that's automatically going to happen, right? That but there's going to be uh, need to be a, a real turning to the Lord that happens. And of course, we've seen that one of the ways in which God can confidently prophesy this, can confidently predict it, because he's going to be the one who will bring that about. He's going to be the one who will give them a new heart. Um, You will seek me and you will find me. Even you who have been exiled, who have been the objects of my punishment, right? You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that's uh, an amazing thing that we have a God who who is who can be found by those who honestly seek Him. I will be found by you. I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Um, because you've said Yahweh has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Thus says Yahweh concerning the throne, the, the king who sits on the throne of David and concer- concerning the people who dwell in this city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says Yahweh, I'm sending a sword, famine, and pestilence. There's our trifecta again. I will make them like vile figs. So as I said, though he hasn't mentioned figs so far, we're, we're to be keeping in mind this prophecy of chapter 24. He's just spoken to the good figs. And now he's speaking about the bad figs. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, um, a reproach to the nations because they did not pay attention to my word. But uh, And I persistently sent my servants, the prophets, but they would not listen. And so hear the word of Yahweh, all you exiles whom I sent away, who, who are now on the verge of, as verse 15 says, um, uh, listening to those who are claiming they are prophets in Babylon. Um, not to say that there are no prophets in the exile. Uh, Ezekiel will is a noteworthy exception. But concerning these guys that I'm hearing about, whether it's this guy Ahab or whether it's this guy Zedekiah, that would be a different Zedekiah than the king, who are prophesying a lie to you, God will strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, um, this curse um, shall, uh, shall be used by all the exiles from Judah and Babylon, okay, Yahweh make you like Zedekiah and Ahab. So in other words, it will cup that what will happen to these guys is going to be so bad that when people want to curse their enemies, they're going to invoke these guys' names and say, may, may Yahweh make you like these two guys whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. And we can, we can see why this would happen to these guys. Like not only is this a prophetic fulfillment of what God said is going to happen, but, you know, obviously, if these guys are ultra anti-Babylon, right, and ignoring what Jeremiah has said the prophets should do to seek the welfare of the city, pray to the Lord on its behalf, these guys are saying the exact opposite, right, that God's going to come and he's going to uh, deliver us, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is—you is, uh, could see why, why these false prophets who are staunchly anti-Babylonian— 
would incur the wrath of the king of Babylon. Um, and uh, and note, they're, they're also, these guys not only are prophesying false words, by the way, but they also live these immoral lives. And so we have this, um, this mention here that they've committed adultery with their neighbor's wives. Um, and, and so they do that in addition to speaking lying words in the name of the Lord. Okay, let's go over now to Psalm 119, verses 33 through 30, uh, through 40, rather. The stanza we're looking at today is the hey stanza, all the let, all the lines beginning with the letter, Hebrew letter hey, which is, was the fifth of Beit Gimelta. Yeah, the fifth um, letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, we see a lot of the themes we've been seeing. So we see a lot of this idea about God being our teacher. So verse 33, teach me, O Yahweh, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding. He's the one who teaches us. He's the one who brings understanding that I may keep your law and observe it, not just because I have to, but to observe it with a whole heart. I love this, like the way in which Psalm 119 teaches us to think about the word of God. Lead me in the paths of your commandment, that I'm, for I delight in it. It's uh, not just something I know for the sake of knowing. It's not just something I know because I have to, but I'm doing it with my whole heart. I'm uh, and I delight to do it. Incline my heart to your testimonies. So again, God doing these things, God teaching me, giving me understanding, leading me, inclining my heart, turning my eyes. Um, from looking at worthless things, from looking at falsehood. This is the same word that's used in the commandment, you shall not lift up the name of Yahweh to falsehood, Shava. Um, turning my way, uh, and whatever it is, that maybe, maybe a word of conviction for us today, right? Like, in what ways are your eyes looking upon falsehood uh, that, that, that you need God to turn those from? And give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread before your rule. Uh, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. Okay, let's now look at the book of Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians is written uh, in close succession to First Thessalonians. Uh, you know, he's he's still. In Corinth, um, and you notice you've got the same three guys: Paul, Silvanus, whom I said is uh, I pointed out is actually Silas, whom that well, that's who what Luke calls him, and uh, Timothy, and um, and I I think I mentioned briefly in passing during First Thessalonians there is some debate among scholars that maybe the the order of the letters is mixed up, where this is actually the first letter he wrote. I don't really feel like weighing in on that. I don't think it matters too much, but it's uh, it's an interesting thing to, to note. To the Church of the Thessalonians, uh, grace and peace to, uh, from God our Father and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. So again, Paul feels very positively about this church. He's very happy with what he hears, and it's right for us to give thanks because your faith is growing abundantly, um, and we and we know this not because you know you're so passionate during worship or something like that, but because you love one another. That's how we can remember Jesus says, this is how all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And here, the love for every one of you for one another is increasing. You want to know that a church is growing in maturity, look at the way its people love one another. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and the faith in all your persecutions 
and in the uh, and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So, um, it's there's a lot to give thanks for, even though your circumstances are very hard, namely because of how we see you standing up under that. Um, the, and 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 not only so so and not only do I give thanks for you in this mix, but there's also another reason to kind of like rejoice in this scenario where though things are difficult for you, you're standing steadfastly in your faith. And that is that it is also evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Okay, so in other words, there's there's kind of this idea that like the rightness of God's judgment, the rightness of how things will all turn out in the end is kind of confirmed by um, the innocent suffering innocently, right? Or the faithful suffering faithfully. Um, uh, because looking forward, okay, what what will come? What will come? What will what will this be the the evidence for this righteous judgment of God? Well, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. And it's not to say that that can't happen in this life and doesn't often happen. But the ultimate way that it happens is when, well, it tells us here, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, something that Paul spoke a little bit about back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, right? And here, again, the revelation of Jesus is not this like, remember we talked a little bit about rapture theology, right? It's not this idea where like Jesus comes back, but nobody really sees him, but everybody in the who's truly in the church is missing, right? No, he's revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Okay, so that's going to be the characteristic of his return, or at least one of the characteristics of his return. It's going to be in power. And this is really an extraordinary aspect, uh, kind of like snapshot into um, in, in Paul's literature uh, that we don't see very often. And this is Jesus returning in his glory, and uh, in not only in glory, but in judgment. So both to save those who are eagerly waiting for him and to, um, and, and, and to bring recompense to humanity for its sin, the kind of thing that we've been reading about in Jeremiah. Um, those who do not know God, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus— they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, okay? So they will be cast out of God's presence. Um, when he comes on that day, so there we have the judgment aspect of what we might call the day of the Lord, um, but then the, the positive aspect, he will come to be glorified in his saints. And notice on that day, the one who is glorified will be Jesus Christ, and marveled at among those whom have who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill the every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. Okay, so God working in you, uh, because we know that this is where things are going so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, right? That's what, that's what a church should be doing. If you can't 
If you look at a church and say, Jesus is not glorified in this people, something is wrong. This is what we want. Um, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, thank you so much for being with me today. As always, I look forward to being with you tomorrow. And until then, keep reading scripture. Take care.